Hello and welcome to another episode in our APW podcast series, which looks at UK residential property from an investor's perspective. With me today are the APW property experts, Stuart and Callum Williamson. Hello, Stuart. Hello, Paul. And hello, Callum. Good afternoon, Paul. APW has been advising expats and others from all over the world and connecting them to UK properties. They've helped over 2,000 people secure over £186 million worth of property. I'm Paul Shearer, writer and journalist who's been working in real estate for over 15 years and have owned and restored property in both the UK and France. Today, we're answering an FAQ from APW's inbox. Uh, FAQ frequently asks the question, how much of a deposit do I need to buy a property? Callum. Yeah, this is a good one and one that we get asked uh, an awful lot, hence why we're doing a podcast on it. Um, People email in or send us messages on LinkedIn, you know, asking, you know, what do I need for a deposit? And what sparked this one is, is someone sent me a message saying, you know, what size deposit do I need? And I said, well, 20 to 30% depends on your situation, but let's go with 25 as a rule of thumb. And they said, oh, wow, that's amazing. You know, I'd been told it was 40 and that brings my plans forward, you know, 12 to 18 months. So um, so I thought it'd be important because if we can help people understand that they don't need 40%, then perhaps people can get going a bit sooner. Okay, well, uh, you say 20 to 30% and depending on their circumstances, what would some of the difference in those circumstances, what are the, some of the changes in the criteria for a deposit? Yeah, good question. I mean, it depends on, you know, the, the purpose of, of the mortgage or the property. Is it a residential? Is it a buy to let? It depends on the size of the mortgage. You know, if you're, if you're looking at a, firstly, you want the mortgage to be over a hundred thousand. That opens up the most lenders, but the larger the mortgage generally, it seems counterintuitive, but the larger the mortgage sort of the lower deposit you would need because it's, it's more worthwhile for a lender to, to lend a lot. So yeah, property type, property use, buy to let or residential. Uh, size of the mortgage, and then as well the rental income uh, that you get from it if it's a buy to let. So there's a couple of things, and that's why we always say each situation is different. But as a rule, twenty to thirty. Okay. Uh, what are some of the other things that people need to be looking at when they're doing their calculations as to what kind of property they can afford and what sort of mortgage they should be going for? I think they should be looking really at um, the goals achieved for the property as well. You know, if you're trying to develop something that's going to give you a retirement income in 10 years' time, then putting down 20 to 30% is not going to do that. You're going to be looking at, say, 60% to create, to, to have something that pays itself off over 10 years. So you need to look at exactly what your goals and aspirations are and working that out. But the general sort of things to look at would be really, you know, how much you're going to get as a yield, what percentage of the value of the property are you going to get out of it, what is that then going to pay on your rent? Things like what will your stamp duty be? What are the overall fixed costs? If you're buying a property from them overseas and normally you're looking at about a 6.5% upfront charge of stamp duty, lawyer's fees, mortgage fees, APW fees before you can get going. So that's got to be, the property's got to be held for a while before that amortizes itself out. So there's quite a few things. Amortize, that's a very good word there. And that, uh, obviously, for those of you who aren't accountants, that means reducing or basically killing that cost, doesn't it? Reducing it to zero, or it's the payback of that upfront 6.5%, you said, uh, cost of purchase. How long would you expect for that to be paid off, or does that just depend on the yield and the property? Well, it does depend on the yield and the property, but really, if you're not buying property for 10 years plus, then I wouldn't buy it. 
So it's going to be five years before that's, that's amortized out and you start getting some real good growth locations or growth situations rather. So it's a case of that brings you on to, is it better to buy a house or a flat, which is going to give, do that best for you. And these are all things to throw into the decision-making pot and get some proper advice on it. Don't most banks calculate the maximum they will lend based on a percentage of the rent? There's a formula they use. I think it's um, it's a case of whatever you have left after you've paid all your bills, if you have a £1,000 clear after that, then that is a, a green light for, for lending to occur. But some banks will say, give us six months equivalent of mortgage payments, put it in the bank, and then we'll just lend against your rent. And then we know we've got six months worth of mortgage payments to draw on if there's any problems. Some people will just look at pure on income. So it's a case of trying to work out what you want best, speaking to the mortgage broker and saying, this is what I'm trying to achieve. What do you think? And then they will steer you in the right direction to go to the right lender to give you the correct balance of rental income stroke income lending. Again, that's where Stuart mentioned goals. I think that's where it's so important to outline the goals at the start because that makes the rest of it so much easier. You know, So on the, on the mortgage side of things, if it's a residential mortgage, for example, the banks are very much more focused on your earnings and your income because you're the one that's paying the mortgage. Whereas if it's a buy-to-let, as, as you say, Paul, they're very much more focused on the income you're going to get from the property and is the average income or the expected local rental yield, which is something they'll look at, will that cover costs and the mortgage with a bit of stress testing? And if so, then they're happy to lend. So that's someone like Skipton's do it that way if it's a buy-to-let. So yeah, goals are important because that'll influence the lenders and the type of mortgage. Okay, you mentioned stress testing there. Should I get one as a result of this podcast or, or, or are you talking about something else? <laughs> yeah, so, so the stress testing post-2008 GFC, the UK government laid down new regulations requiring mortgage lenders to adhere to a variety of policies uh, relating to their lending practices. Uh, probably the most important of this was the stress testing. So a stress test usually looks at several factors, mainly whether or not a borrower can still make payments if uh, if interest rate rates were to rise. And the figure they look at, the stress test here, is 3% above the current, the current rate. So um, if it's 3% higher, would you still be able to make those payments? Okay. So that's something that you can plug into your own calculations. Just add 3% to the mortgage rate. Can I still afford it? Is this a good buy or, or is this going to be a problem if uh, th- those interest rates do go careening upwards? For sure, isn't it? If you're doing your own you know, caveat emptor, do your own sort of calculation and try and work it out. It's not just a case of gambling in willy-nilly and thinking it'll be all right. It probably will. And, you know, it always does turn out for the best if you put enough effort into it. But it is worth trying to reassure yourself it's a good idea in advance. Okay, well, thank you very much. That's all we've got time for today. While you were talking there, I was just trying to work out what 2008 GFC was. Um, and of course, I worked out that you meant global financial crash. I think that's right. Yeah, yeah, that's correct. Yes. Or global so financial that's... crisis, it could be. Yeah, it's either or, isn't it? Well, no, because uh, was... some people, it wasn't a crash. You know, some people made a lot of money out of it. Global mm. financial cash in. Yeah, there you go. Okay, well, that's all we've got time for. Next week's podcast is a City Watch, and we're going to be looking at the city of Cambridge. Until then, uh, it's goodbye from Stuart. Cheerio. Goodbye from Callum. Goodbye. And a goodbye from me.
Thanks for listening to this episode of our podcast series produced for APW by Emma Holton at Brilliant Audio. If you enjoyed it, be sure to subscribe, hit like, share it with your friends. If you didn't, keep stumm. You can find more episodes in all your usual podcasts.